Welcome to Dark Iron, a Darker Days radio podcast in the world of Iron Kingdoms. I'm one of your regular hosts, Chris, and I'm joined by Crystal. Hi, Crystal. Hello. Hello. We're back again. Uh, if you already yeah. listened to Darker Days Radio, you know we have episodes that mainly focus on horror and, um, you know, yeah, horror and uh, uh, RPGs <laughs> of various flavors. Um, and you know also that we have a lots of hobby RPG advice. And you also know that we talk about a lot about wargaming as well. So that also kind of crosses over with this uh, series. So this series is a completely brand new series that's going to be ongoing about the Iron Kingdoms RPG. Uh, Iron Kingdoms, if you're not aware of it, is currently a D&D 5e setting. Uh, and it has previously previously used its own setting when it was Full Metal Fantasy that was based upon the war game. And then before that, in its first incarnation, it was a D20 system game. So it has its origins all the way back in D&D anyway. Uh, if you play the war games, you're aware of that uh, the main name that you should know of is War Machine and, of course, Hordes, which are now both actually in 4th edition just called War Machine. And the fact is, as I've said that, there are four editions of that uh, war game. And um, the fourth edition is is the most recent one and uh, has some pretty kick-ass models because I've painted them and I am eyeing up the new armies. So before we get into, um, into this, um, I'll do a quick kind of update of like gaming news because there's quite a few things actually that's going on uh, related to Iron Kingdoms. So currently, if you want to get into the war games, you can buy the Kador and Signar starter armies. Uh, I think also the Warcasters and Warjacks are individually available. Uh, that's and when I say Warcasters, it's they're two different characters to the ones that are actually in the armies themselves. Then soon to be released is Dusk. Uh, which is another War Machine Warcaster-led army, and that is the faction which is the Iosan Elves, but they've since become very undead-like in the new where the setting is up to. Uh, so there's lots of cool designs there, and Reese, uh, you can also get the Orgoth army. Um, we'll talk about Orgoth at some point in this podcast series in more depth. And also there is the new Trollkin army, and I can't... I think they're called, like, Brine Lord Marauders or or something like that. But basically, they're Trollkin, they're pirates, and they've got cool things like the the um, the Warlock, and we'll explain what a Warlock is in this setting. Um, it's this cool troll, is this cool troll, Trollkin captain, but he's got on his shoulder a starfish that's holding a pistol as well. And you're just like, that's completely nuts so that's why i like this um setting it doesn't really give a damn anyway other than that that's the wargaming stuff on the rpg side nightmare empire is going out to backers right now um the deep wild is the next uh is the next kickstarter which will be coming soon which looks at more of the factions that live out in the wilderness like gator folk um and yeah, that's basically it on the gaming news from kind of 
the Iron Kingdoms. Obviously, because it's D&D and it's 5e, you might find some utility from uh, Black Ballad, uh, which we recently uh, did an interview about, and that's been through uh, Backkit and has been funded. So uh, you might find some interesting character concepts and systems that you port, or, or even scenarios that you port back into into uh, the Iron Kingdoms. But before we um, before we go in on any more about gaming news, um, I guess the next thing is we're going to talk about what is the Iron Kingdom, since this is the first episode and a full introduction about this setting. Okay, so the Iron Kingdoms... Um, is like a huge setting that is fully featured and like expanded upon over the last oh god i want to say 20 years it is 20 years oh no it is 20 years um that's just crazy because it was like definitely 2003 when i started playing the war game and that's mostly at the same time when which fire trilogy came out um so where do we begin, Crystal? Uh, where 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 do we start? What do what do we need to explain? Um, I feel like I feel like explaining like the feel of the setting yeah. before we get into it because like it took me quite some time. Like I I played this a couple of times, at least once. Um, and it it is a very very different feel from like the traditional five E settings that you would be playing with normally with the the base like game yeah for dungeons and dragons i almost want to describe it as like primal punk uh like what's primal punk primal punk is more like um um like feral animalistic uh yeah i mean that's an aspect of it that's definitely an aspect of it but is definitely part of the wider world of Iron Kingdoms. Yeah. So so the things which we'll delve into a little bit more is that in Iron Kingdoms, I would say if you were to go to say to someone, go, what makes War Machine War Machine? What makes the war game of War Machine what it is? It is Steam Jacks, which are these big automata. So they're basically robots, but steam powered. But there's also an element of magic in how they operate. And they are controlled by warcasters who are who are able to channel magical will, you know, magical energy through them through into these warjacks to get them to do more stuff in battle. And then similarly, going back to your primal punk point, yeah, out in the wilderness and certain wilderness peoples, there are the equivalent, which is warlocks, which are very different to what you know in D anD D of warlocks, and they bind themselves to and control war beasts so they're kind of the the primal version of of uh of war jacks um and of course the 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 general the general way of 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 explaining at least in war games terms what they're like is a warcaster is like a is like a steam engine and they have only a certain amount of power to distribute to their systems their systems being the warjacks while a warlock is having to manage 
multiple nuclear re- nuclear reactors, which are the war beasts, and trying to not let them go critical too soon. Because when they do, they go full frenzy and go out of control and murderize, and then they can bring them back under their control. So that's kind of where at least we get a feel for what the war casters are, and we'll get into that a bit more. But yeah. ultimately, yes, the wilderness setting has this very primal uh, feel where you've got factions doing a form of alchemy using what they gain from beasts and animals in the land whereas the the, the kingdoms i would say compared to what people are typically think of in D are much more um technologically advanced yes so when i think of iron kingdoms when i describe it to anyone i always say think of sharp but with some tolkien-esque magic in there or tolkien-esque tropes in there and then make it a little bit gonzo with the amount of destruction and power that can happen. So a person like Captain, you know, like our, our favourite character, like Sharp, leading his his chosen men, is a, per, is, you know, in, in a Napoleonic warfare kind of scenario, is totally valid in Iron Kingdoms because you do get trench warfare and you do get them warfare between different kingdoms. And they are... But they're going to have, at some point, an encounter with someone that is mostly just as debonair and dashing as 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 sharp, but is wielding magic and controlling warjacks. And these warjacks have, again, weapons that channel magic into them. That so in the might be doing lightning bolts crackling from some lance, while also carrying. I mean, the warjack might be carrying like uh, a giant gatling gun. That's all very different to when we think D and D. So there's there's definitely there's there's that element of magic. There are multiple different gods in the setting. We'll get into that a bit more. Uh, and uh, there are multiple different kind of um, heritages species that you can play as. So there's humans. There are elves of a sort. There are dwarves of a sort. There are trollkin. There are ogren, which basically kind of ogres uh and then you've got um everything else that gets a bit more weird are like gator folk pharaoh which are like pig people um you've got the weirdness of the cephalix who is well beyond the scope of this first episode to get into their weirdness uh and then of course you've got cricks which is an island nation of people of humans but also there are humans that live in the shard isles there but also it's a totally undead kingdom um so I would say, like, if you can think of, like, elements of the Renaissance going into Victoriana kind of setting, that to me is Iron Kingdoms. If you chuck in, like, you know, gob- goblins and other weird, other weird creatures and magical, you know, magical um, steam-powered uh, automata. There's also steam trains. There are airships. There are sailing ships of sorts. Um, so, you know, it's quite, it's quite, um, quite common for most characters in the setting are going to carry more than likely are going to carry like pistols. But again, because of the technology and how magic interacts with it, uh, you do also get kind of like knights in armor, but that's mostly because their armor has been alchemically strengthened against firearms. So it's that kind of thing of where, 
some of the things that we think of as being typically kind of fantasy kind of tropes can still exist because the technology and magic combine in ways to allow those things to persist. Yeah, because um, firearms are still are a bigger thing in this setting, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. There, are, there is a huge number of firearms you can get. Um, there are firearms that are magical, so that means they've been made from... Uh, from magical, you know, magically resonating alloys. Okay. And that's really cool because that also means, um, you know, war casters, as I said, combined to war jacks. They can also, you can also get this kind of alloyed plate called rune plates that you put onto weapons and armor and, and even firearms that allow war casters to also channel their magic and energy through those contraptions. Yeah, but then you've also got gun mages, <laughs> which are like my favorite uh, character type, uh, and that is like if we're going to say character type, that is my favorite class. So that's one of the new classes in the game, and they are think think dashing, tricorn hat wearing, um, you know, uh, gun masters basically, and they can channel spells through their through their firearm, so they will they etch runes into their shot and those shots then when they fire them have additional um, effects due to the magical spells that they pull off through that. Yeah, it looks like they're, like they're almost like their bullets are their spells. Yes. Which is pretty awesome. I like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're going to be, if you pick up the Iron Kingdom's Requiem campaign setting, you basically get and that's like the core book of Iron Kingdoms, you get a lot of information that tells you a, a good amount about the setting as it stands. And a lot has happened since the previous edition of Iron Kingdoms and the third edition of the war game. So the, the setting also has progressed. In fact, many characters in the war games are dead. They are so dead. <laughs> They're like gone. Like the world has changed. So... If you play as a human, let's just say if you play as a human in Iron Kingdoms, you are likely to be from one of four kingdoms. So there is Kador, which is kind of like a czarist... I, I refrain from thinking Russia, but I would say czarist elements of Slavic countries. Yeah. Because that, cause if you if we look at Ukraine, Ukraine is actually technically an older older kingdom... Uh, by comparison, so Slavic—I would say Slavic kingdoms—you get that element of of uh, they're also kind of very um, controlling um, and a bit warmongering, uh, <laughs> and they also don't tend to make things small. Uh, they they don't have such a thing as a light war jack in the in the war game. They just go big. <laughs> um, they have uh, their own kind of uh, school for their for their magically gifted people called okay. the Grey Lords Covenant. And those Grey Lords, you know, again, they're gonna be they'll specialize in different ways, but that's their school of magic, as it were. Yeah. Uh and yeah, Kador is is one of those kingdoms. It is far it is more to the north of Western Amoran. So Amoran is this co huge continent that that uh the the world has the whole world is called Cairn, that's the name of the planet. Uh, and then south of that, 
there is a kingdom called Ord, which is a bit more into has a has a good kind of like healthy tr- sea trading kind of history to it. Um, it's a bit more of a let's just say I would say it has more of a pirate tradition to that kingdom. It has kind of a more I would guess has a slightly sp- some Spanish Portuguese kind of themes in there to kind of give it uh, its character. Uh, and one of the cities near it, which is on the mouth of this huge river called the Dragon's Tongue River, is called Five Fingers, and that's literally just a pirate city. It's Tortuga on drugs, um, and that's <laughs> good fun. It used to be like this, um, and it's built on the ruins of of a uh, of of the Orgoth who invaded Western Amoran. We'll get to that. Another kingdom. It's called Lael, and that's between Cador and Signar and we- uh, sorry, east of Ord. And Lael is more kind of French-Italian in my mindset of what it is. Um, they got invaded. They're a small kingdom. They got invaded. They had a whole lot of problem about who should inherit the throne. Um, they're also the nominal home of the... Order of the Golden Crucible, which is like the main alchemist guild in the setting. So they they got invaded though by Cador. They got invaded by the Protector of Menoth, and now they're free again. Um, so in the war game, they had a lot of armies that were built up from mercenary factions. They've got kind of more of a. They don't have a big standing army, but they have. Uh, you know, they're they're coming back into their own in this in the setting as it as it is now with a lot of wealth because there's again who's gonna marry who in the setting all of that it's it's good fun with that stuff and then the next main kingdom is signal which is i guess is our standing for for pretty much every other western european nation going um with an element i would say of of the us as well because and when i say the us because Iron Kingdoms is a bit of a kind of genre mashup because there are areas of the Iron Kingdoms where you would go, actually, that's more like a Western. So you can quite support having like, you know, a frontier town somewhere on the border to the Badlands where it's all rooting, tooting kind of bison, um, you know, bison uh, ranches and, you know, firearms and and you know someone's got to be the sheriff and and so forth but the rest of signar is more is more in that kind of point in it's definitely heading towards being more victorian because they've got technologies like um that enables them to create electricity so basically channeling 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 magic into into their engines that then creates electricity and light and so forth, as well as making devastating weapons. Um, so those are the kind of like the kingdoms that there are. There are some other ones. So there's one called Rule, which is dwarves, and that's north and north of Lael and west, east of Cador. And that's interesting as a setting because due to what happened with the with the infernal invasion. They've basically started taking in lots of refugees from different parts of the of the world, so they're quite a mercantile race as well. Eos is this whole race of elves that were in the woods, and the thing about them is uh, 
they their gods got killed. Most of their gods get killed. And then they decided, let's kill the two remaining gods. And the end result is they have... Most of the race now are soulless or are something called... Um, I can't remember the term. But basically, they're undead. They're like vampires, but elves. Um, and they've got their own technology. So they, they in the setting, elves were came into the world after humans, which is kind of different. And their warjacks and technology are more passive, if that makes sense. Like they, they know how to work with the energies of the world and draw it in gently and work with the ley lines and so forth. Whereas everyone else is doing it like, you know, in the nasty industrial revolution way of just manipulating magic. Uh, and then Crix is this whole island nation off the coast of Signar, uh, which is where a huge giant dragon, one of many, called Torok, is able to... He's able to breathe life into people and make them undead. And so there's a whole undead nation there literally a nation of undead ghosts zombies every kind of thing you go going for them plus humans who are being tainted by like almost by like like this radioactive essence that comes off torok and the fun about the cricks is they also have warjacks but the difference about them is their warjacks are using machinery and bones and flesh so they do what's known as necrotech and they fuel their warjacks not with coal, but with something called um, called. Why well, can't I think of it right now? It's called. It's not coal. It's uh, why well, can't I think of it? It's gone from my head. Anyway, the point is they can fuel it with that material because what it is is it's um they mine it from the gr- from the earth beneath battlefields and burial grounds because it's condensed uh, death energy and it makes its own form of coal that that you need less of to burn. It burns hotter, but also it's really toxic as you burn it, which of course doesn't matter if you're undead, so it's good for them. So that's kind of like the what you would call overall the Iron Kingdoms because they all use kind of steam jack technology of a sort. Um, okay, so like... So you're talking about like warjacks and stuff like that. Um, when it comes specifically to warjacks, are they like the main thing that these kingdoms use for fighting and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, like, that... What is the what do they play? What part do they play within this? Oh yeah, they're literally. So if you've got a whole army that consists of like you know trench, that's basically trench warfare with your knight. You may have some knights. You've got people that are obviously using you know rifles. Um, your your kind of elite warriors your war casters your commanders are going to command a handful of warjacks into battle you don't have to be a warcaster to control a warjack so you can be someone that can control a warjack using verbal commands uh and that's obviously something you can do in the game you can play a character that has you can get hold of a warjack you know how to control it that way but a warcaster almost like mentally controls their warjacks so on the battlefield they are a small army of one i say army of one they're a person with who's extended their abilities through the warjacks that they they have bound to them 
Okay. And so all of these kingdoms I've spoke about are able to do that. And the other interesting thing to say about all these kingdoms, they're not just a singular people. So in the Iron Kingdom setting, you could go, well, I'm from Signar, but actually I'm 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 actually my heritage is Umbrian. So there's all these ancient kingdoms in the setting that people understand the heritage is from, but those kingdoms don't exist in the modern setting. Gotcha. So there's actually so that's something I find really important about the setting is that you can go, right, I'm Kadoran, but I'm a Kadoran from this part of Kador. So therefore the likelihood is I'm actually born from that heritage. Or okay. you may be a Kadoran who actually has a mother who's from the kingdom of Lael or some something like that. So there's all these things that that I think adds some richness to it and is more is more akin to what it's like living in our world. Yeah, it's not so much a mono uh a, a mono like one race yeah. per place. It is a amalgamation of all of them. And and of course in all these kingdoms there are there's a mix of everyone. So if you go to Signar, there is a certain number of Trollkin and Rulic dwarves and Ios and Elves and other other races, other heritages that also would go, well, yeah, okay, I'm a Trollkin, but I live in Signar and I like living in Signar. I feel like that is, if anyone would say, where are you from? You would go, I'm from Signar, not from, I'm from Kingdom X because I am Heritage X, which I think, again, is maybe something that's quite distinct from typical D and D stuff, where where I would go either you've got lots of human setting, uh, human civilizations, and then you've got some civilization that is obviously well, that's the elves and that's the dwarves and that's the tieflings or whatever the heck I don't know. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots of there's lots of things you can you can play. So like if we look at the cultures of Signal, I'll just give a quick rundown to give you an yeah. idea. There are Caspians, there are Midlanders, there are Moradanes, there are Thurians, and then there are also uh in in uh there's different languages as well. So the main language would be called Signar uh Signarum, but there's also a language called Sulis, which is to do with the protector of Menoth, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, there's, if you go to Kador, um, you've got Cards, Cossites, Skirov, Umbrians. Uh, in Lael, you've got the Rin and Umbrians and Torridons. Um, yeah, you know, there's, it's, you could actually, if you wanted to run it, you could get quite deep into into that culture and yeah. figuring out and and that's I think that makes it interesting for like character building in the setting because for people to play it they can go well you're all from Signar but you're not all from the same parts of Signar or even if you are from the same parts of Signar even then what your heritage and how you've grown up is could be quite different depending upon the heritage of your of of your parents and so forth yeah yeah it it seems like it's a lot more it feels more like a lived in yeah like like you're kind of jumping into the middle of somebody's uh you know world building with their characters and everything like that um and so as i said there's some other kingdoms as well other factions so they're beyond them so 
there are some will there's patches of wilderness in these huge kingdoms so there's huge forests and and mountain ranges and even some deserts and so forth so that's generally where you find some of the other heritages that are a bit more as you say that kind of primal punk feel so yeah. the troll the trollkin also have their communities in what are known as creels so they're very much more um you know they they have these palisade kind of like um settlements and inside they've got uh, I wouldn't say mud huts, but they're, they're again they're they're not huge kind of Victorian cities we're talking about. They are a creole is essentially a few you know a, a few hundred trollkin and their troll beasts that live together. But they will yeah. obviously these trollkin creoles will form together when there's the need for war. Likewise, if you go into the swamps, there are gator people. So that's basically you know big gator. You know, alligator type people that have their own magic. There are croaks, which are frog like people. Pharaoh, as I've said, are, are pig like people. They're quite interesting because uh, they've got, they've just formed their, their, they've just got the start of their own kingdom going on. So before they didn't have one. And now the, the biggest pharaoh of them all has got aspirations of godhood and is setting up a kingdom, a little city state <laughs> out in the wilderness. <laughs> Um, and then you've got the Orgoth who are invading the Iron Kingdoms once again. So the Iron Kingdoms are called the Iron Kingdoms because there was like um, the Orgoth over 600 years ago invaded Western Moran and they have demonic infernal overlords and they took over for a good, oh, well, over 600 years ago they did that and they took over and then 600 over 600 years ago around about 700 years ago, there was the revolution or the start of it. And that's what freed all of the human kingdoms of Western Moran from the Orgoth. And the main part of that was they, because before then uh, they didn't have magic. Humans haven't been able to wield magic. And then suddenly they learned how to do it. They overnight got the gift of magic, thanks oh. to one of their gods. And... Combining magic with what the Rulik dwarves knew about metallurgy is what allowed them to create the first warjacks, which the first warjacks were completely massive, like really huge, over the top, over engineered, but they obliterated the Orgoth. And the Orgoth, who are kind of like Viking infernal kind of mix of, of things, disappeared, but they're now, now they're back with infernal powered their own version of warjacks but infernal powered um so yeah that's kind of where we are up to the in the world so also in the setting there is a good amount of infernalism and because there's a lot of there's another infernal faction who invaded uh western moran who who if 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 the orgoth we're using now use warjacks this other faction use their own version of war beasts, but they're big demonic beasties. Okay. Um, and then to really put a spanner in the works, there's also Grimkin, which are kind of like fey creatures. And that takes a huge amount to, to explain at some point. Um, <laughs> which actually, it brings by mentioning magic, again, that brings us on to the next thing, which is magic is, and faith is quite different in this setting. Okay. So... Magic is again humans 
got the gift of magic, and spoiler alert, it's not really a spoiler at this point, it's because one of the human gods, Thamar, which was a human who got elevated to godhood, who is kind of like um, the god... She's, she represents, like, going against um, order and... and um, How can I explain? It's like... Left, she's basically left-handed path, if that makes sense. She's, she's, it's not Satanism, but it's more like taking empowerment for yourself rather than always being uh, giving to other people. Got it. Okay. That's why certain people flock to her worship that then tend to do horrible things like sacrificing people or necromancy. But anyway, she, seeing what was going to happen... She made a deal with the Infernals and she basically went, Can we, if we have the gift of magic, can we have it? And they're like, Yeah. And the price was the Elven Gods, which is horrible. Oh. And also two thirds of all souls on the world of Ken. And that's what recently happened was the Infernal Invasion to take those souls. Of course, oh. it didn't go. It didn't go as to plan for the Infernals um, because of the Grimkin. That's a whole big thing we'll get into because the Grimkin were out there devouring all the evil people in the world, which happened to be the agents of the Infernals. So it's all a clusterfuck of, of everything. But anyway, so Thamar is one of the gods, is a human god. The other god, her twin, is Moro, who is the way I explain this is that there's also another human god called Menoth, who's even older. So Menoth, I I kind of consider as like Old Testament god, whereas okay. Morrow is New Testament god, and Thamar is left-handed path, kind of. But is not she's not technically evil. She's about self-empowerment, rather than Morrow is about in is about helping your fellow man or fellow kin. Whereas Menoth is very much, you know, old school fire brimstone, you're all humans, you worship me. And okay. Menoth is locked in a battle with the Devourer Worm, which is this god of the wilderness. There's also a female god of the wilderness called uh, Duania. And then there's the Iosan gods who are all dead. <laughs> but they were, there were two, and they were, um, they're all dead now. They're dead, dead, dead. And then there's, as I said, there's infernal entities and there's a few other gods out there. Um, interestingly enough, Torok, who that that kind of giant dragon, is is almost god level, but not a god. And there are other dragons who are cre- who were created when Torok cut shards from his soul stone called an Arthank, and those became dragons themselves. His problem with that is they rebelled against him and he's been slowly devouring his children. Um, So that's the gods. So with the gods, um, you do have the ability to channel divine power from them. So you have clerics as in this setting, but you can be a cleric of many of the, of one of these gods. Um, But with the coming of magic that opened up the other way of doing, you know, what I would say other mystical things uh, and so Thamar is kind of that goddess of magic for humans uh, there are many different types of magic there's necromancy um, there is infernalism and the interesting things about magic is in this setting is magic is not subtle Okay. so 
and certain things in the setting you can't do. So you can't resurrect someone from the dead. Like you can't. There's no plane of travel. There's none of that stuff. So certain spells in in Iron Kingdoms are completely from D D are completely banned. So it really changes the the tone of it because you won't be doing. The idea is you shouldn't be doing subtle magic in Iron Kingdoms. Magic is magic is this overwhelming power that will blow you know buildings apart not you know you go zap and i'll light a candle if you want to light if you want to have something that creates light you use some sort of mechanica so you use some some little device that channels magic into it using an arcane capacitor and that creates something that then causes some illumination so that is what machinery means in the iron kingdoms it's the it's the means to channel at least arcane machinery is the means to channel magic to do something in a routine fashion. Okay. And therefore that's why the Iron Kingdoms is on the cusp of, or is going through the process of an industrial revolution. So there's trains and there's all these things, thanks to the use of magic through Mechanica. So, so it's, it's magic powered steampunk. Yeah. <laughs> okay so with like if, if there's no connection or if if the connection with the magic and the gods are a little bit different where does the magic that doesn't come from the gods come from is that ever answered in there or is it just kind of uh so the so the other the other i think the other peoples the other like if they're dwarves or iosans they were born with they were created innately to be able to channel magic Without okay. having to do, you know, divine acts of faith, whereas humans, for whatever reason, were made without that ability. Okay, all right. Um, also, like with all of these gods dying, why would you want to try to become a god? Yeah, well, that's that's a huge that's a huge thing because if we go back to the Grimkin, if we go back to the Grimkin, um, in the setting, there they are because they are because in the ancient times. Certain hu- certain high priests of Menoth rebelled against Menoth because they realized that Menoth wasn't actually special; that this divinity exists in all humans. Yeah. So they got locked away in the afterlife called Urken, and that's where the gods exist as well. And <laughs> they were locked away for thousand years, and then they got kind of changed by that. And they're they're kind of, as I say, they're kind of fey like. And they figured out ways to get their minions into the world. So Grimkin, these fae creatures, into the world. And that happens when there's a slight doorway when people die, especially if they're evil. And they like taking evil souls and reshaping them into Grimkin. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's... And they were they were unleashed <laughs> on the. And let's say they were unleashed on the world to devour the souls of all the infernalists to stop the infernal invasion <laughs> completely mad oh okay so you said that there is like there there is no like resurrection and stuff like that is no. there and, and it's kind of confined but there are are there other spaces and stuff like that within this world because i know like one of these locations i was reading up on is like a bridge um 
Where is is, is that one? Not what the bri- a bridge? The okay. Oh right, you're talking about there was there was a bridge. <laughs> there was a bridge, right? So the the elven gods were like, oh yeah, we they they were trying to escape the infernals. So they exist in a realm between Urken and the Outer Darkness called the Veld, which is which is basically this kind of forest kind of other realm okay. type of thing. To escape, they got the elves to to build the other side of this bridge between realms. But it basically they came over, they existed in Urken with the elves, gods in the material world. That's a pretty huge thing. But then in doing so, they realized they, they were beginning to lose their their essence and so had to go back to the Veld. In doing so, there was a cataclysm that destroyed that bridge and is why there's a huge like scar, like ca- chasm down the middle of um, the continent. Oh, <laughs> okay. And that's why... Oh my goodness. Two of the gods didn't make it back over. Um, and stayed, and why they were trapped in this world in Urk, in in Cairn, and then eventually died. And the other ones that went over were the ones that got sold off to uh, give humans magic. Okay. So yeah, you can't do you you, you know, in terms of magic. There are um, let me find it. Um, you you're not going to be able to ever easily go anywhere else. Uh, you are you are basically stuck in can um in in the material world you're not you're never going to go to urken because you're just not going to um it's it's not that kind of setting um so interesting the other factor about magic is also that when people cast magic you can see the runes of the magic so magic is quite visible so when someone casts magic a circle around them appears of runes like almost floating so you okay. can actually perceive what the spell is that they're they're performing by reading those runes. Okay. All right. So with all of this connection with magic and stuff like that and all of this big stuff going on, what is it that players can do or expect in like a regular game? So that's where you can actually do quite a um quite a bit. So if we go through, let's start with what the new class... There's some new classes in the game, obviously. There's going to be yeah. some new classes. So in Requiem, you can play. We've already said about Gun Mage, and there's a few schools of of schools of Gun Mage. So you can learn how to be a Gun Mage in different ways. There's Warcasters, who control Warjacks. There's Arcane Mechanics, so basically how to do magical machinery. There's Alchemists, who do alchemy. And then yeah. there's Gunfighter, because guns are so prevalent... Why not have gunfighters? The new heritages are Trollkin and Ogren. And then the interesting thing, and then we'll get into what you can do. You know how normally in D&D, when you pick your heritage, you get some stat bonuses? Currently, yes. Yep. Yes. Currently, yes. Requiem got rid of that on the outset. And this actually comes from uh, Full Metal Fantasy, the, the previous version. Yeah. So when you choose your when you make your character, you also choose an essence, and there are and these give you certain feats and also certain ability bonuses and aptitudes. So 
you could choose to be intellectual, which is going to make your intelligence and wisdom and charisma higher. You can be mighty, which is going to increase your st- strength, dexterity, or constitution. Oh, yeah, these are all or. So intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. Strength, dexterity, or constitution, or mighty. Uh, agile, dexterity, wisdom, or charisma. Uh, gifted, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. And, of course, that then means you know how to do magic because you you have it in you to do magic you've you've been born to it um and then so that's actually something interesting is you are you are born with the gift of magic you can't learn it okay and then pious is constitution wisdom and charisma so pious is about your connection with the divine essentially so those are the five essences and then you pick your heritage which is going to be gobber, which is basically goblins, human, uh, dwarf, ios and elf. Um, there's another type of elves, which is the nis. I'll get into that another day. Uh, ogren, trollkin, uh, or the ones that come from um, borderlands and beyond, which is all the you know uh, pharaoh and uh, bogren and so forth. But what you can play. I mean, it really depends what kind of part of the world you want to explore. So you could play quite happily. You could be a group within the military of a particular kingdom and be kind of a, I guess, a special ops type of group who are sent on missions. You could be investigators who live in one of the cities investigating all the various crimes. And, of course, crime is going to be weird where there's magic and alchemy. Um, So... (laughs) I, I I like running it that way. I like running uh, investigative horror in Iron Kingdoms, and it then becomes very kind of Sherlock Holmes, but with but with magic, which is yeah. kind of fun. Um, you could be uh, you could quite easily play merchants. Uh, you could play, and this is the great thing is actually in the book you've got adventuring companies. So what these are essentially are frameworks that tell you if you play a character characters within certain restrictions, you will get certain benefits as well. Okay. So you play to a theme. So you could play an arcane order. So you could all be members of a of a order of of mystics or a guild. Um, and there there are different tiers to this. So as you go up in experience and you put more money into into your into your adventuring company you'll get more benefits and and so forth you could be a cult you could all be members who worship thamar and be a cult (laughs) which would be cool to a certain extent i think would be kind of fun um but you could also be um worshiping the defiers those weird entities behind the uh the grimkin uh you could also quite happily be as said intrepid investigators you could be law dogs uh that's another one in here so you're basically members of uh, the city watch um oh, you okay. know you're you're or you could be bounty hunters uh or or something like that um what are the ones we've got here mercenary charter outlaws you could be a criminal gang you could be pirates and there's in Nightmare Empire, one of the book in that Kickstarter, one of the books adds a huge amount of rules to sea ships and piracy, and there's island generators and sea monsters galore. 
you could be a spy ring. That's a fun idea. That'd be really fun. So that gets us more into that kind of blades in the dark kind of play, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so every Kickstarter, every other book, every um, other book that's come out that's brought in new character options, those books add in new new adventuring companies. So if I was to take, for example, my go-to, which is the um, Intrepid Investigators, for instance, that says prerequisites, you have to play one character who is either an... Ex you have to include at least one character who is an explorer, an investigator, or seeker background. So background's another thing entirely, again. So you've got your, your character class, your heritage, your essence your background, which is kind of a way of adding a few extra details to the character type to make them more specific. Okay. And that's quite useful because some players might come into this going like, I really like a certain kind of, um, a certain uh, unit type within the war game. Like let's say the mana wars in, in the Kadoran army, which are basically soldiers in battle suits. Okay. I want to play one of those. You'd be like, okay, you need to get this, 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 that background. There, you're a man of war. Done. So it's quite, it's quite permissive to let you play everything in the war game, basically. But if you're, if you play Intrepid Investigators, as long as someone is playing the Sherlock Holmes, or Intrepid Investigators could also mean your uh, tomb robbers or ghost hunters. So you could go with various things, or, or belong to a university in the setting. And okay. go look because you know it, but it needs to be in a museum, of course. Um, so the benefits we get is like exhaustive research. So you get a, you get a benefit to doing research on various things, and then your accomplishments are basically like if you find an ancient relic or or an ancient ruin, or you observe a dangerous beast up close, or or you publish an amazing book on monsters because you've you know been out in the wilds looking at beasties and you've written an amazing book that's how you go up the tiers and so okay. the first benefit you get in for your fledgling adventurers would be say linguistics everyone's better at language uh you're better at observing things and then also you get some uh you get opportunities you, you basically have better contacts to find out where there's opportunities to do stuff and as you as you're as these groups get bigger you also get underlings because okay. you start hiring people and yeah. you get, again, other bonuses. So it's... And each one of the adventuring companies is like that. So I think the great thing about Iron Kingdoms is that... And the thing that's intimidating is, yeah, the setting is freaking huge, right? At this stage, we have, yeah. like, we have done a very top slice of the setting. <laughs> and in that respect, we've done a top slice in the first half, which is insane um but if you utilize the adventuring companies and you go right if you start from that and go what do we want to play as and you go right let's all play as members of a cult because that's something interesting then that helps everyone think about how to build their character to fit that goal rather than say everyone turn up to the table and go i want to play a you know a cleric a um gun mage a warcaster and a trollkin yeah. yet there's no nothing nothing easily unifies them because no one knows the setting well enough or has a good idea 
and also likewise a, a games master could go right i know kind of what stories i want to run but also i've written things in such a way that it's permissive enough for quite a few different adventuring companies to work so like you can easily see the same sort of stories working for intrepid investigators as it would work for a cult or for an arcane order or for law dogs the difference is what they're getting out of it because a cult could go let's investigate the strange murders involving infernalism yeah we could turn up and go we're going to help solve the murders but the reason they want to solve the murders is because they want the magical knowledge rather than the intrepid investigators who are clearly doing it because they want to document things and then the law dogs who are doing it because it's their job to stop the murders <laughs> so that's i think quite a useful approach to the game for the yeah. GM and for the players. Yeah. It kind of helps you to narrow down your focus because with such a large world, when you're like, you have all of this possibility for any type of story, you're like, I have no clue what to pick. And yeah. then you have a group that picks things that are so far apart that it's almost impossible to kind of jam it together in a cohesive way to make it enjoyable for everybody. Yeah, and I'm I'm obviously I always come from the 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 side of like I prefer putting in restrictions quite early in in a game yeah. to 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 help people to and people go oh but oh I can't get to play the, no it's to help you play cohesively as a group so everyone is having fun rather than someone picking all the options that actually make may make it really not fun for both the players and the gm um and i think that's just something you have to accept i think you know not every character is going to work in it um so i mean having done that top slice and we've gone on for an hour yeah. and i've spoken a lot what for you crystal jumps out and makes you go right i want to play this type of thing or i want to explore this in more detail um i think that like the magic aspect is really what's drawing me um, and I like the fact that there is both a gun mage, but also a gunslinger. Yeah. Because you have people who don't have access to magic. So, of course, they're going to learn how to use a gun. Like, that's just a part of survival. Um, so, I, I like that aspect. I like the, um, like the alchemist stuff. I've always been drawn to alchemy. Um, and so, like, if, like being able to explore like some of the the alchemist stuff or like how magic would affect that type of thing especially with magic being so different from everything else like alchemy i could almost see it being something completely different from actual magic oh yeah alchemy is alchemy is again that kind of because magic condenses into things in different ways like that that innate essence that that condenses yeah. into certain minerals or certain gizzards in the creature or whatever then alchemy again fits into that creating magical effects through through routine procedures and recipes and Absolutely, so yeah. you know while a while a, an arcanist can channel magic and maybe be able to blow something up that requires effort and they can only do that so many times before they are exhausted. So that's something that's also in this game is there's a, there's also an alternate 
um, alter spell casting system called that's about fatigue. So it's not about how okay. many slots you've got to cast a spell. It's how how exhausted you are, and then going, shall I go a step further and see if I pass out and cast this spell, which I think is more fun. <laughs> um, but for the alchemist, you don't have that problem. You've got the okay, you've run out of fireballs, but I can keep chucking these grenades that I've made beforehand. The problem yeah. is the alchemist is going to run out, but they can prepare a lot more. So, but again, their options are limited because how many, how many solutions, how many grenades, how many formulas and serums can they pre-prepare before a fight? Yeah, Sure, not many, but then outside of a fight, when they're doing investigations and so forth, and they've got access, a bit more time to sit down with their, their, their bag of their mobile bag of uh, alchemical ingredients, they can pull off some much more interesting effects because they've got time to sit down and, you know, grind things up and mix them up. I'm, I'm looking at the, the alchemist subclasses and there's like combat alchemist, which is pretty awesome. And then you have the synthesis, which is someone who can like fast brew stuff. And then you have a rogue alchemist. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. Oh yeah, so they're, they're, they're literally just an alchemist <laughs> that isn't following following the rules and regulations of the of the guilds, and no. um, are just doing it for their own like own like benefit. an 18th level life on the run. <laughs> like that is your top top thing for that subclass. I am I am down for this. I mean. It's been an experience for me personally writing for D and D because for Five E because I'll because I know the setting better than I know D and D inside out and I've learned a lot in doing this. Um, but again, I mean, people have different opinions on on like how you build things, and I think because you know when you when you look at some of these things, I'm sure to an experienced person, I'll look at like again like alchemist and, and combat alchemist and they go oh and if i cross class that with this 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 from these all these book D books yeah of course you're going to come up with something that's game breaking you've just chosen three or four different books that were never envisioned to work together oh yeah so i i still think you can you you should by all means cross class in 5e in iron kingdoms but i think cross class if you cross class within its within its ball pit then you won't get things being too crazy um but then you know it's it's an it's a role play game like at the same time play what's fun but also don't play things just for the sake of breaking your gm's game just because you think that's the point um yeah, there's there's ton that you know, so that's the other thing. Every every class has a has a subclass. So Gun Mage has a few subclasses. Um what does what does Gunfighter have actually? I forgot what Gunfighter has. Uh, um Gunfighter's got Pistolier, that's fun. And, and Commando. Commando. I was yeah. just looking at it as soon as you asked. <laughs> yeah, and, and again you could see how those could cross over with if you were to play um like a fighter. Yeah, a fighter who's mounted, because then you've got like a gunfighter who's a crack yep. shot with a sharpshooter who's mounted on a horse. If you combine those two those things together, you've pretty much got a character who's a good um who's a good highwayman or yeah. like or a 
or a really good sheriff who's who, who, riding in the saddle and like pot shotting, pot shotting like uh, you know some raiders. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. It, it's it's a pure. The setting is really a genre mashup. It's a good dose of Sherlock Holmes, uh, a good dose of Sharp, a good dose of any of like you know Tombstone and you know all the good. Um, all the good, you know, westerns out there, uh, and then you know you inject some bits from the from from other mythologies because the Grimkin have that very good kind of Slavic mythology feel to them as well. Yeah, I feel. Uh, and then with with Golden Age of Piracy, that slots in quite happily. Uh, if you go out into the deserts. I do know there's going to be vehicle, some vehicles powered by Menoff's Fury, which is basically oil. So there's going to be an element of like some some sort of vehicles uh, turning up. And then with the Cricks and Ghosts and uh, the Strange Light um, Workshop, who are able to, who are basically ghost hunters, um, you've got your Ghostbusters in there, and you've got Undead. And Pirates of the Caribbean fits in with this quite well, I guess. Oh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right. God, that's like so. That's done and done. You could do that out, out. <laughs> you, you just need the Requiem and Nightmare Empire and well, which book is it? Scoundrels and something, something. I can't remember off the top of my head that has all the pirate stuff in there. But basically, oh. you're full on pirates, um, and you're you're ready for it. Yeah, it's it feels like there's there's a lot um a lot of stuff that's just baked in where you can expand upon it and you can even like do your own homebrew style too. But I do oh, yeah. say like one of the fantastic things that this book does, the the at least the the player handbook, it has story hooks built into all of the areas. Yeah. And that's like that's baked into the setting. You don't have to go searching for it. If you're like, I want to, you know, have a game that starts off in this area. There's like seven or eight plot hooks throughout that whole section in the book that you can use to get your characters started. Yeah. So I was going to just finish up, just give the things that are, because in the GM section, the things that are make make it different to standard D&D. So spells not known in the Iron Kingdom is going to quickly go through because people might be like, okay, Astral Astral projection, contact of a plane, etherealness, fabricate, floating disc, magnificent mansion, maze, plane shift, resurrection, rope trick, secret chest, speak with plants, unseen servant, and wish are spells that don't exist in the setting. Uh, also, as said with healing and resurrection, um, it's painful. So even if someone uses some sort of magic to heal you, uh, it will leave scars and they will be very different to regular scars and the following spells cannot be prepared normally in the iron kingdoms raise dead reincarnate resurrection uh revivify and uh true resurrection because that basically gets you into into necromancy um so interestingly you'll find certain spells which are considered evil in dnd are not evil in iron kingdoms and certain ones will be and that's just because the way the setting is set up. So there are th such things as benign necromancy in the setting as well. There's also 
the setting has its own version of the Inquisition called the Order of Illumination, who go after witches and necromancers. So that's something else you can play as an adventuring company. Um, I think that's it. Uh, have I got anything else I can say? We've got the fatigue rules for spell casting. That's something we can look at when we get more into magic at some point. Yeah. Uh, there's also a table of severe injuries. If you've listened to Darker Days Ready, you know we like Warhammer Fantasy. That means we love severe injury tables. Um, <laughs> also, um, warlocks in the Iron Kingdoms, that term means something different. So there's the Warlocks Control War Beast. You can play a warlock, a D&D warlock, but that means you have obviously pledged your soul to someone. I would say if you're going to play that type of warlock, that mostly means you're an Infernalist, because um, it makes most sense with that. Uh, tieflings, you may as well not bother with, because there's an equivalent in the setting called uh, the Satixis, Um, and we'll get into that another day. Uh, that's That's... Basically, an overview of the Iron Kingdom's Requiem from the outset. So we have an idea of what you want to explore then, Crystal. Um, yeah. And I think next episode, we're going to talk about a particular place in the Iron Kingdoms to kind of, again, have a bit more of a, um, I guess, to condense a few things and get a feel for what a location feels like, of where you could basically play an entire campaign in one city. And, yeah. and have loads of detail and and just stay with that. That'd be awesome. Um, so we'll do that. And then after that, we'll pick another topic, which might be looking at one of the kingdoms in more detail or look at some of the stuff from uh, the wilderness set, set the wilderness peoples. Uh, that might be good. Okay. But yeah, that's, that's Iron Kingdoms. Um, any other last thoughts? Um... No, I don't think so. Like, there is a lot, lot here, and it can seem very, very overwhelming. Um, uh, continue to listen to the series if you're interested, but feel like it's overwhelming because we're planning on breaking down stuff, so it's a lot easier to digest. Yeah, yeah. There's, we'll get into. I think we'll mostly at some point we'll do everyone builds a character like what they not in detail but like we'll do like what we plug together to make our favorite kind of like exciting build yeah like i can tell you already i always i i i'll try and not pick gun mage i really love gun mage though um <laughs> i love it so much um yeah there's there's loads i mean it's gonna get crazy when we start talking about nightmare empire because we're gonna start making undead characters <laughs> nice and ghosts playable ghosts playable I'm, ghosts i mean who doesn't want to play ghost at one point yeah uh right well that's i think that's it for now um we will be back soon with another episode of this uh we'll be back soon with another episode of dark hammer because we've got one more chaos god to talk about in that uh if you're listening to this the most recent episode of crystal's uh rpg writing uh mentorship series is out where we talk about imposter syndrome and then the next episode is coming up will be coming up soon which will be on the topic of um i haven't haven't decided yet people i haven't reached out to the people yet um uh, hold on a second where did i put it <laughs> uh and then yeah, while crystal sorry. looks for that um we'll 
I can't remember. I think there's mostly some books we need to review at some point for. Um, oh, there's a bunch of books that are coming out. For oh, oh it's going to be on social media and websites. Ah, classic. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, and then yeah, we'll have an episode. Uh, the main show when we find a topic or releases that we need to review or someone to interview at some point. Um, it's been a bit slow on the World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness front these days. Um, I mean, we've got stuff to talk about from the Player's Guide, of course. So I haven't even yeah. read that yet, so I need to have a look at that. Um, I'm excited to be able to finally start talking about it. Also, we need to talk about Imperium Maledictum, which is the new Warhammer 40,000 RPG that's out, which is uh, percentile-based, so that's going to be fun. Uh, let's think. There was also something else that I was going to say. And also, Warhammer Fest is coming up uh, at the end of April. I'll be going to that, so we'll be chatting about that afterwards. Yeah. Um, there's loads, actually. I think we're finally back into our into the swing of things. It's just been a long kind of hiatus for some of us because it's just been too busy and too exhausted. But I think we're finding our uh, momentum again. Um, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a little bit of a burnout. It always is. I think, which we're... is going to be important for the mentorship thing. It's all about burnout. Um, yeah. Um, also, obviously, as I said at the start, Black Ballad uh, was funded, which is a 5e setting slash campaign. So again, obviously, if you listen to this, you, you're interested in 5e, perhaps. So that means have a look at that. There might be things you want to port over one way in one direction or the other yeah. uh, to make your own homebrew settings. So have at it. Um, that's already been through its back a kit but of course if you want to pre-order it you can do so there is um there there are links and so forth to do that um yep yeah there are pre-order links in the back kit yeah so that's it uh so thank you for listening uh thank you again crystal for for asking questions and being excited about iron kingdoms because it is kick-ass i do love it um and we'll be back soon but if you want to obviously if you want to ask questions and comment uh contact us uh at darkdaysradio at gmail.com go to www.darkday-days.org for all the episodes go to at darkdaysradio on instagram twitter and anywhere else come over to our discord to chat about this or any other role play stuff uh and ask us ask us questions give us suggestions Tell us if there's something you want to le- learn more about on the podcast. Uh, and I think that is it. So goodbye for now.